We're spending the summer in the book of Acts, and the 15th chapter in the book of Acts is, is a major turning point, not only in the book, but for the movement of Christianity across the world. As Gentiles uh, came to hear about uh, the Messiah and accepted him, uh, there came to be a debate under what they would have to do to join up and be with uh, uh, the Jewish Christians. And so many people uh, in the Judea area especially said that they had to be circumcised before they could be Christian. Peter and Paul uh, argued vehemently against this. Finally, there was a meeting held in Jerusalem. It's called the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15 where they debated this. And, and we'll pick up a part of that beginning in verse 11. This is part of Peter's speech when he said, And so we are saved by the grace of Jesus Christ just as they are. And Peter went on to tell them all the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. Through them. And when he had finished, James uh, stood up and said, Brothers, he says, Peter uh, has shared with you how, Je- how God intervened and chose from among the Gentiles a people for his name. And this is exactly what the prophets had written about. Then he quotes a little bit of Amos 9. I will restore and rebuild the tent of David. I will rebuild its ruins and I will return. And then people will seek me and Even the Gentiles who know and bear my name, says the Lord. And then James concludes saying, It is therefore my judgment that we should not make it difficult for Gentiles who are turning to God, but we should write to them, uh, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For these things have been preached in the law of Moses Uh, from the earliest days and are read every Sabbath in the synagogue. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. Well, this morning, as I was getting ready to leave, I set up my wife because I knew she would do this. I told her, I'm going to take my backpack with me this morning. And I knew she'd respond, and she said exactly what I thought she would. She said, yeah, you need to get that thing out of the way. It's dangerous. Uh, People could trip on it. And then I knew this was coming. And she'd said, and you know what? That is so heavy. It's not healthy for you to carry that backpack around like that. Exactly what I wanted her to say as I came this morning. But lest you uh, think I got off scot-free when I got to the garage and tried to start my car, it wouldn't start. But she did say what I wanted her to say, which is this backpack is heavy. And we talk about it from time to time, and I tell her, now look, I probably don't need everything in that backpack, but I don't wear it all the time. I just wear it on my way to the office, then I take it off, I wear it to the library, I take it off, I bring it home, I take it off, you trip on it. Uh, But I don't have it with me all the time. She said, you don't need everything in there. Well, let's think about that. In my backpack, I've got a computer. Well, you need a computer, right? Right? Unless, of course, you also have an iPad, then you really don't need it. Well, you know, I'm I'm taking Hebrew, so I've got my Hebrew workbook in there. But even my teacher knows I only study about once a week. Well, let's, oh yeah, these, these are important. These are the notes to last week's book review. So in case any of you missed it, you know, I carried around, I could tell you about that. And let's, and you just never know when you're going to run out of paper. So I always carry extra pads. 
Um, oh, yeah, and then there's this. These are the sermons this summer and notes on future sermons. Hopefully they won't fall into the hands of the communists. Are there any of them left? I don't know. Um, some other, well, let's see, some more pads. Uh, well, a lot more pads. Like I said, you just never know when you're going to run out of paper. Well, she doesn't think I need all that stuff. I've still got more. Oh, yeah, there's this, this flashlight. Now, this is very important. Because I go to Africa once a year, and there are power outages, so in the middle of the night, I, I want my flashlight. So I carry it with me. She wonders if I need all that stuff. And my response is, maybe not, but I'm not wearing it all that much. But what if I was wearing it all the time? What if I had to carry that with me the whole time, everywhere I went on my journey? You know, I raise this question because... When we talk about being a Christian and being with Christ, it's a journey. It really is a journey. And so one of the things we need to ask ourselves is, what is it that we really need to take on our journey? And what is it that we don't? Or an even more important question, which they ask in Acts 15, which is, and what should we ask others who want to journey with us to take in their backpack? What should we require of them? See, that's what's going on in Acts 15. Uh, the Jewish Christians from Jerusalem are saying, look, if these Gentiles want to go on this journey with us, they need to be circumcised first. Get out the knife. And Peter and Paul are saying, that's way too heavy. Peter and Paul said, no, they need what we need, which is the grace of Jesus Christ and faith in Christ. And then after debate, they said, now these four things will be helpful. We need to ask them to avoid food offered to idols or polluted by idols, sexual immorality, uh, meat of animals that have been strangled, and blood. And the result is, James says, you know, that's not too hard. That's not too difficult. Well, here's a couple things that you might want to know about what they ask them to do. It seems like they ask them to do four things, but they really only ask them to do two things. Uh, an ancient literary formula you may be familiar with, this called a chiasm. It's like basically two things that get repeated. So uh, food uh, offered to idols, which is idolatry, and uh, is like pagan worship. So if you want to follow us, don't worship the pagans. You know, they, they eat meat that they claim have been offered to another god. They involve themselves in sexual immorality and worship. So don't do that. Don't, don't worship pagans if you want to follow God. And then the second thing is just a basic food law, which they had, which is, and don't eat meat with all the blood still in it. That's Leviticus 17. So basically it's just two things they're asking not that heavy. Many people call them Noahide laws, which means even before Moses, all the way back to the days of Noah, people knew that if you wanted to follow the uh, God, that you needed to avoid pagan gods and, and their terrible practices, and you needed to respect the life force that is, that is within animals, which is the blood of animals as, as a dietary uh, rule. And James makes the argument, you know, the law of Moses has been around for centuries, People know it, even those who are Gentiles, because it's read outside the Sabbath every week, outside the synagogue on the Sabbath every week. So basically, it's not that heavy. They can get it. So it got me thinking, if they were not requiring a whole lot of people who wanted to join them on the journey with Jesus, what do we require? What do we ask of people before they can join up with us and, and walk along with us? And really, is it required? What kind of things do we load 
on people. I was kind of thinking about that this week, and I thought, well, you know, for some people we say, you can come with us on the journey, but make sure you dress appropriately. Your attire is important. Oh, for others we say, you, you, you can come with us on the journey, but you better vote for the right political party. You know, the one God supports. And hold the right political views, or you can't really be serious about Jesus. Or we tell them, you know, you need to have the right doctrines. You need to believe what we believe about how the cross works. Or you need to believe what we believe already about the Bible. And if you do all that, well, then you could probably go with us. Or we tell them, you can come with us on this journey, but you got to come at 8.30 or 9.30, 11 when we're doing it on Sundays. Or you can come with us to find out more about Jesus, but first you got to accept him before you find out any more about him. And so, is it any wonder that when people think about following Jesus with us and we hand them this, they think again, what is it really that you need to just come to find out more about Jesus? What ought to be required? You know, it's real interesting, the food laws about blood and the, and the meat, uh, not eating what is strangled. That's from Leviticus 17. But part of what's behind that is, if you're going to be on the journey with Christ, by definition, you're going to be with other people. And together, if you're going to go on this journey together, you need to be able to socialize and to share and to eat with each other. And if some of you are eating meat with all the blood still in it, and the Jews aren't, then you can't be a part of the same community. And you end up just trying to follow Jesus on your own. And it seems like what James was saying is we don't want anybody out there trying it on their own. It's not just about you and Jesus. It's about you, Jesus, and all of us. Interesting quote uh, last month came from uh, a researcher about statistics of of, uh, Christianity in America. And this is what he said. He said, our chickens have come home to roost. Some of you will know that phrase. Basically, you know, we sowed our seeds, now we're reaping it. He said, we have emphasized just you and Jesus, your personal relationship with Jesus, so often that more than 80% of people claim to be Christian in the United States of America, and less than 50% of them are even affiliated with, with the body of Christ. If James heard that statistic, he'd throw up. The whole thing was about what could we do with Jesus together. Not what can I get done with me and my God. Makes me wonder if it's so important that we be together, growing and learning about and following Jesus, why is it that I put things in front of people that keep them from joining us? Why do we do that? Well, it's probably not this reason, but I thought about it. Is it like hazing, you know? We had to go through it, so they did too. You know, they have to come to our church and say, thank you, pastor, may I have another? 
before we let them in? It's not that right. We have better reasons than that. Is it? Well, what they do is offensive. They shouldn't talk like that. They shouldn't drink like that. They shouldn't dress like that. It's offensive. Maybe the issue is we take offense. I read a quote this week from Ken Keyes. He said that he believes that more suffering in the world is caused by people who take offense than than by those who intentionally set out to give offense. But actually the worst thing we do is it's by getting offended. It starts a chain reaction. It starts a cycle. Maybe that's the deal. Maybe we're just too sensitive as the body of Christ. Maybe. Maybe it's just that we want control. You know, this is our club. We've paid our dues. We want to vote on who gets in and gets, who doesn't. Maybe. I don't think so. You know what I think it is? The Bible doesn't say this. It's just a guess. I think we misdiagnose people. I think we, we don't accurately understand what the situation is. I think we... We believe that if people are not with us right now trying to follow Jesus, they are terrible sinners. And so, if they're going to try to follow Jesus, we need to clean them up first. A good friend of mine, Chris Estes, says, basically what we tell people is, your hands need to be clean before you use the soap. Maybe we diagnose people like that. I wonder if that's a misdiagnosis. I wonder if God's not thinking, oh, we're terrible sinners, though we're certainly sinners. I wonder if what God thinks about everybody is, these are my beloved children who are valuable to me. I wish they'd come home. I wish they'd be in my family. What if it's not that we judge people as terrible and so therefore they've got to get less terrible before they can go with us? What if we judge them as valuable and worthwhile and precious just like we are, and so we invite them to go with us together? And in the journey, I think they'll discover some things. In the journey, I think they'll find they actually want some things in their backpack. I think there's some, you know, there there is some good stuff in here. You know, I mean, there's like, uh, I do have a Bible. You know, got a power source. You know, and after time, they're probably going to realize they need that power source. They need that Bible. But they have to learn it on the journey. We don't hand it all to them up front. Here, check this off, then you can come with us. I've been, as, as you know, a number of times to Israel and Turkey with a guy named Ray Vanderland. And every once in a while, when you're in a really barren area and it's very hot, he will tell you before you get off the bus to hike, this is how many bottles you need. You'll say, like, this is a two-bottle trip or this is a three-bottle trip. But there are always those of us on the bus who are trying to beat the system. I don't really want to carry three bottles. I'll try two. And so about halfway through our hike in the desert, it's 120 degrees. I'm out of water. I get an epiphany, which is next time he tells me to bring three bottles, I'm going to bring three bottles. And fortunately, the community bailed me out. People will learn in their journey. They'll learn about practices that are helpful. They'll learn about disciplines that might be encouraging. But we don't need to give that up front. What we give them up front, I believe, is just a welcome that says, come walk with us. We're not perfect, but we're, we're walking. Join up. And as they walk with us toward Christ, they'll figure it out. You know, I think Jesus is so wonderful. He's just self-revealing. 
You know, follow him long enough and you'll believe in him. Follow him long enough. Hang around with his people and you'll come to worship. But can't we let people start walking and figure that out for themselves? Are we going to tell them, nope, no walking until you're fully loaded and fully packed and you do what I do? I have a friend uh, who's actually a friend of this church. His name is Matt Russell. Matt, for many years, led a recovery ministry in Houston. Uh, And they would come on Saturday night and they would worship God, uh, find strength and help in Christ and each other. And he said there was a guy named Jerry who'd been coming for quite a while. And by his own admission, Jerry had ruined two marriages and lost more than one job because of his drinking. And one day, Jerry, who was so encouraged by this group, came up to Matt and he said, Matt, I want to join this church. Matt said, well, Jerry, that's great, but you're a Jew. And yeah, he said, he said, but you know, I, I, I love this group. And, and I love what I'm finding out about Jesus. And, and if he's anything like the rest of y'all, I want to know him better. And Matt said, you know, theologically, I'm trying to process this. Can he join without, like, all the right statements of belief? Can we let him in so he can keep walking with us and come to understand the one that we already worship? Or do we make him worship first, then come in? Matt said, I started looking through the Gospels, and I noticed that probably more often than Jesus talks to people about believing, he's first invitational. The ones who are with him, he'll call on to believe. The ones who are already on the journey. For the others, it's an invitation that says, come and see. Or he does a miracle to get their attention, to invite them on the journey. Jerry said, if you're anything like Jesus... I want to know him better. Can I join? What would you do? Would you hand him this this stuff first?